Coming to you from the Forge of Freedom studio in the heart of America, a podcast dedicated to preserving freedom and inspiring personal success. Freedom is born and lives through you, the individual, and it dies in the shadows of tyranny. Motivating our listeners to become well-rounded, freedom-minded people with the body of an athlete, the mind of a stoic, and the spirit of a warrior. The Tree of Liberty lives on through you, the Forge of Freedom. And now here's your host, Alex Uli. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forge of Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Alex Uli, and this is episode 70 of the Forge of Freedom. Today I'm going to share an article with you from one of my favorite resources in the liberty movement, the the 10th Amendment Center, and the article is by Mike Mahari. He's a regular contributor at the 10th Amendment Center, and he's written uh, a couple of books. Number one, uh, the Constitution Owner's Manual, and also Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty. But Mike Mahari, he's been writing for the 10th Amendment Center for quite a while. In fact, this article is from July 5th, 2016, and the article is called Constitution 101, the Ninth Amendment. As many of you know, if you've been listening to this podcast uh, for very long, I've discussed the Bill of Rights uh, quite often, especially during our discussion about the right to keep and bear arms, but also in other discussions as well. In fact, I dedicated an episode, episode five, to the Bill of Rights, and I'll link to that in the show notes, along with the two books that I just referenced by Mike Mahari. But one of the most overlooked components of the Bill of Rights is the Ninth Amendment, and I should also say the Tenth Amendment, which is the uh, website that I'll be sharing this article from, uh, the Tenth Amendment Center. And the Ninth and Tenth Amendment I think are often overlooked because they confirm what the founders intended, and that is a limited federal government, a a federal government with specific, enumerated, and limited powers. And I think those in power, politicians, like to ignore the Ninth and Tenth Amendment because they act as restraints on their power and aren't consistent with their preferred interpretation of the Constitution in a way that is um, expands their power. So I want to I want to talk about the Ninth Amendment today, and we'll get into the Tenth Amendment in a later episode. And at some point, I'll, I'll likely cover most, if not all, of the Bill of Rights, giving each. Uh, right protected by the uh, first 10 amendments to the Constitution of the Bill of Rights, a specific episode. But with that said, let's get into the article for today, which, uh, like I said, is called Constitution 101, the Ninth Amendment by Mike Mahari. Generally, Americans treat the Ninth Amendment like the Bill of Rights' unwanted stepchild. They mostly ignore it. And when they do talk about it, they often misunderstand it. In reality, the Ninth Amendment serves a very simple but crucial purpose. It expands the limits on the federal government. 
at least in a manner of speaking. More accurately, it makes the implied limits on federal authority explicit. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Technically speaking, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments serve as rules of construction. They tell us how to construe the powers delegated to the federal government. They add nothing at all to the Constitution, and they don't take anything away. They merely tell readers how to read the document. Together, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments affirm what was already understood and implicit in the Constitution. The federal government may only exercise the powers that were expressly delegated to it. Many of the states ratified the Constitution on the condition of amendments. They thought a Bill of Rights was necessary to secure essential liberties and to ensure the federal government operated in the limited way promised by supporters. The New York ratifying document spelled out the understanding of that state's ratifiers and the conditions under which the state would enter the Union. Every power, jurisdiction, and right which is not by the said Constitution clearly delegated to the Congress of the United States or the departments of the government thereof remains to the people of the several states or to their respective state governments to whom they may have granted the same, and that those clauses in the said Constitution which declare that Congress shall not have or exercise certain powers do not imply that Congress is entitled to any powers not given by said Constitution. But such clauses are to be construed either as exceptions to certain specified powers or as inserted merely for greater caution. Several other states included similar provisions along with other proposed amendments. They ultimately formed the foundation for what would become the Bill of Rights. The highlighted phrase above was the genesis of the Ninth Amendment. And I'm going to read that highlighted phrase again. It says, But such clauses are to be construed either as exceptions to certain specified powers or as inserted merely for greater caution. In the simplest terms, the Bill of Rights sprung from fears that the federal government would act outside of its delegated powers and trample the people's rights and privileges. The Ninth Amendment was a response to concerns that listing certain rights in a Bill of Rights would imply the federal government had the power to violate other rights not listed. James Madison initially submitted proposals for amendments to Congress on June 8, 1789. His proposed verbiage was altered and generally shortened during the legislative process, but looking at the original language helps clarify the intent of the amendments. Madison's proposal for what became the Ninth Amendment makes clear the intent was to amplify and make explicit the limits of federal power, specifically to ensure the enumeration of certain rights was not taken to imply the federal government could violate rights that were not mentioned. The exceptions here or elsewhere in the Constitution made in favor of particular rights 
shall not be so construed as to diminish the importance of other rights retained by the people, or as to enlarge the powers delegated by the Constitution, but rather as actual limitations of such powers, or as inserted merely for greater caution. Some supporters argued a Bill of Rights wasn't even necessary because the very nature of the Constitution precluded the federal government from taking actions that would violate rights like freedom of the press and religion. Theophilus Parsons advanced this line of thinking during the Massachusetts Ratifying Convention. He said, Mr. Parsons demonstrated the impracticability of forming a bill in a national constitution for securing individual rights and showed the inutility of the measure from the ideas that no power was given to Congress to infringe on any one of the natural rights of the people by this constitution, and should they attempt it without constitutional authority, the act would be a nullity and could not be enforced. And this dovetails with the more general assertion made by supporters of the Constitution that any action taken by the federal government beyond its prescribed power would be void. Alexander Hamilton encapsulated this view in Federalist Number 78. He says, There is no position which depends on clearer principles than that every act of a delegated authority contrary to the tenor of the commission under which it is exercised is void. No legislative act, therefore, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. Nevertheless, many felt a Bill of Rights was vital and agreed to ratification of the Constitution only on the condition of amendments, but that still left a glaring question unanswered. Would the enumeration of rights in a Bill of Rights imply the federal government possessed the power to infringe on other rights not mentioned? After all, legal rule of construction dictates the designation of one is the exclusion of the other. So readers could logically interpret an enumeration of certain rights to exclude those not listed. James Wilson of Pennsylvania provided perhaps the most succinct explanation of the problem. In all societies, there are many powers and rights which cannot be particularly enumerated. A Bill of Rights annexed to a Constitution is an enumeration of the powers reserved to the people. If we attempt an enumeration, everything that is not enumerated is presumed to be given. The consequence is that an imperfect enumeration would throw all implied powers into the scale of the government, and the rights of the people would be rendered incomplete. James Iredell of North Carolina made the same argument in the North Carolina Ratifying Convention, emphasizing that the Constitution as written already limited the federal government only to the powers delegated, and that the exercise of any powers beyond those given would constitute usurpation. But when it is evident that the exercise of any power not given would be a usurp usurpation, it would be not only useless but dangerous to enumerate a number of rights which are not intended to be given up, because it would be implying in the strongest manner that every right not included in the exception 
might be impaired by the government without usurpation, and it would be impossible to enumerate every one. Let anyone make what collection or enumeration of rights he pleases. I will immediately mention 20 or 30 more rights not contained in it. So supporters of the Bill of Rights faced a dilemma. They believed it was important to add further declaratory and restrictive clauses to the Constitution in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers. But they recognized it was impossible to list all of the rights and privileges the federal government was barred from interfering with. Madison addressed this concern in a letter to Thomas Jefferson dated October 17, 1788. My own opinion has always been in favor of a Bill of Rights, provided it be so framed as not to imply powers not meant to be included in the enumeration. The Ninth Amendment provides a solution to this problem. It creates an exception to the accepted rule of construction and explicitly asserts that the federal government, federal government may only act within its delegated powers, both in regard to the rights listed in the Bill of Rights and those that were not listed. So there you go. Um, the Ninth Amendment, one of the most overlooked components of the Bill of Rights, uh, including the Tenth Amendment, uh, which I think are two of the most important components of the Bill of Rights because uh, they explicitly, as the article says, um, say what was implied by the specific enumerated and limited powers in the Constitution. And as we've seen, the government has stopped, or has not stopped, I should say, uh, in their interpretation of specific clauses like the Commerce Clause, in reading those as expansively as possible to gain more power. So I, I think it, it was prudent uh, by the drafters of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights to include the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Unfortunately, those amendments have been largely ignored. In fact, uh, during my tenure in law school, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments were mentioned exactly zero times. Uh, they are considered bygones of a long, long ago era uh, and don't get the respect that they deserve. And I want to change that and I want to bring more attention to that. And one of the organizations most responsible for bringing attention to the Ninth and Tenth Amendment is, of course, the Tenth Amendment Center. So I want to encourage people to uh, go reread this article. I'll link to it at the top of the show notes. I'll link to the Tenth Amendment Center and their social media. Please uh, check out the Tenth Amendment Center and, and follow them. They have good work on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, and of course, on their website. Uh, they have great content in video form and blog form. And they have uh, some podcast content as well. So, so please check out the Tenth Amendment Center. The other thing I want to mention here too is that I mentioned the episode that I recorded about the Bill of Rights, episode five. Go back and listen to that because the context around the Bill of Rights is important. 
remember that the Bill of Rights was adopted as the framers of the Constitution were trying to adopt a more centralized form of government. But the Anti-Federalists were very weary and concerned that by adopting the Constitution in a more centralized form of government, we would simply return to the tyrannical government that, that we had just fought a revolution to, uh, to separate from. And the Anti-Federalists would only agree to the adoption of the Constitution if they had a Bill of Rights that specifically protected individual liberty and restrained the government even further beyond their enumerated powers. So that was the genesis of the Bill of Rights. And I'd encourage you to go back, like I said, and listen to, to episode five, uh, where I talk about the Bill of Rights more extensively. Next week, I'm going to be talking, of course, to Mike for Monday Gunday, Mike Uli. He's an attorney and firearms instructor. We'll be on for Monday Gunday to, to bring you some firearms-related content. But then I'll be get back on again next week with... Uh, another episode about homeschooling, and we're going to be talking about the entrepreneurial side of homeschooling. So I hope you'll tune in for that. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, don't forget to like and subscribe to help us spread the message freedom. And of course, stay tuned in for Monday Gunday coming up here in just a couple of days and for the entrepreneurial side of homeschooling coming up next week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And remember, until next time, you are the Forge of Freedom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Forge of Freedom. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to connect with Alex, you can go to forgeoffreedom.com or follow him on Twitter at Forge of Freedom. Until next time, remember, you are the Forge of Freedom.